be seated. Good morning, church. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Kyle. If you've got a Bible with you, though, open it up. We're going to be going to Matthew chapter 8 today, uh, where we're going to be looking at a passage all about priorities. And uh, this week for me actually has been a little bit of a week about uh, figuring out priorities. I mean, I've got kids in elementary school, and so naturally September sort of always uh, becomes this time where we reorganize priorities. We got sports, we got choir, we got all of these different types of things that, that have come up. But then we added the kicker this week uh, that one of my girls got sick and had to miss the whole week of school, which of course means figuring out how you juggle the week uh, in, a, in a different way. And so, you know, my wife and I, we both work, and so it was this question of who's going to pick up and drop off when and what meetings were we going to shuffle around so one of us could be home on a certain day. And, and while it's not particularly that fun, I mean, as much as some of us don't like meetings, I'd rather be in meetings than my kids be sick. Uh, but, you know, it, you, you just figure it out. And as you do it, it actually ends up being sort of an interesting exercise in setting your priorities. And, and maybe you haven't gone through that exactly, but you've gone through something uh, different over maybe the last little while, maybe the last long while, whether it's a meeting that's popped up and you've kind of had to question, okay, where do I prioritize this or an illness or surgery that's maybe caused you to rearrange the calendar? Maybe it was just the COVID lockdowns that we faced where you had everything put on the brakes and then as things eased up, you went well, what am I going to do? What am I going to jump back into? We've had these moments. We've all had them where we've had to say, what are my priorities? And, and sometimes it's really easy, isn't it? Like there's certain things where it's just like, boom, this is the most important thing. But then there's those, you know, secondary, tertiary little pieces of the calendar or pieces of life where you go, where, where does this one fit? And if you're like me, there's times you get it right and then there's times you screwed up royally and you wish that you could kind of rewind the time, but you can't. But uh, th these are important things for us to evaluate. And today, as we continue on in our sermon series, Kingdom Come, we're going to be confronted with a passage where Jesus challenges some people who want to follow him by questioning their priority. And we're looking specifically at Matthew 8, 18 to 22, where we'll see these two guys approach Jesus. Now, during our series, what we're going to be doing over the next uh, number uh, or a couple months is we're going to be looking at and examining how Jesus brought about his kingdom in uh, a few different regions around where he lived. Jesus has just kind of showed up on the scene. I mean, he's about 30 years old at this point. He sort of decided now's the time to, to launch into my public ministry. And he's come out and he, he started by telling people, hey, y'all, you got to turn your life around. You got to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he brought himself uh, up to a mountainside after that, and he began teaching people. He began saying, this is what life should look like. This is what the kingdom of God should look like. This is what human flourishing comes from. And it's all tied in to this message that Jesus is king, and that his kingdom should take 
priority. And so now we've seen that Jesus has kind of come down off the mountain. Last week we looked at as he headed into the town of Capernaum after coming down from teaching that he had uh, some encounters with different individuals where he brought healing into their lives physically, emotionally, mentally, all sorts of different ways. And now he's about to say, it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go. I've done what I'm going to do here for now, and Jesus will return to this place, but we see that he's going to take off and head across the Sea of Galilee to a new region, a region that is very different from the one that he is currently in. And as he goes, he says, I'm going to go bring my kingdom to a new place. Some people decide to run up to him and catch him on the way to the road to the boat and say, hey, Jesus, let me come with you. And let's look at how Jesus responds. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave the orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. To which Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So here we have Jesus about to head out, to head across the lake to the Decapolis where there's uh, less Jewish uh, people and, and more sort of a secular society. He's on his way to bring this message that the kingdom has come, that people need to turn around their lives. And a couple of guys who have sort of got caught up in it, been interested by Jesus, come up running and they say, hey Jesus, let us get in the ship with you. We want to come. And then Jesus responds in a peculiar way. I mean, this is weird. If you had this interaction with somebody, you would be like, what on earth is this person saying to me? Like, if you were like, hey, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to learn from you. I want to go be a part of what you're a part of. And someone turned around and said, well, you know, foxes have dens and birds have nests and I have no place to lay my head. You'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? If you were going and you're like, hey, let me come with you. And they said, but at first, I, you know, I got this family funeral I got to get to. But like, so like, can I catch up in like 24 hours? And then the guy was like, well, go let the dead bury their own dead. You'd be like, what is wrong with you? I mean, this stuff is sort of a, an outrageous sort of a confrontation of the priorities of people. Jesus is striking right at the heart of two men who come to follow him. In verse 18 to 20, we have this teacher of the law, or what some other people would refer to as a scribe, and then another disciple. And they both come, and it seems like everything's right on the surface. Hey, let us follow you. But Jesus points out that there's a different problem for each of them. The first guy's too quick to his commitment. And the second guy, too slow. And we're going to end up unpacking those. So let's start with this scribe. I mean, we got this teacher of the law. He's somebody who'd be known for being well-educated and wise. He'd be someone who knows a lot about Jewish culture and would be looking for the coming Messiah. And and the Messiah is this, this term the Jews use for the chosen one of God. And he was looking for somebody who would come one day and be a great charismatic leader and who would rise up from the nation of Israel to lead his people to establish a new kingdom. 
But in their mind, these teachers of the law were looking for a leader who was going to establish a physical kingdom which would overthrow the Roman Empire. They were looking for this great leader who would come and they would say, hey, everybody follow me. And then the nation of Israel would sort of bind together in a unique way and charge at the Roman oppressors and take them down and then set up the great empire that is to come, God's empire. And so this scribe is, is listening to this and he's watching Jesus teach. Uh, it's presumed here, I presume, that he would have sat down on the mountainside and kind of gone, okay, yeah. I'm tracking with this. This is sounding right. This is sounding good. I, I like where this guy's going. This, this is cooking in the right direction. Whoa, he's just done these healings. This is incredible. This is the guy. Here we go. All right, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. You are the Messiah. And Jesus turns to him, and Jesus, in a way that only he can do, understands what this man's heart is. He looks at the guy, and I don't know how he does it, but by the power of the Spirit, he is able to see that this man has the wrong priorities. What we can see and what's sort of implied in this text and by Jesus' response is that this guy is looking for some stability, for some notoriety, for some success. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? Well, know this. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. His response to this, hey, you're going to follow me, you want to set up shop, you want to be established with the big guy, know this, I'm homeless. I'm a nomad. We ain't settling down and setting up shop here, but I am here on a mission and I am going to go and see it through. So this isn't going to look like what you think it's going to look like, this is going to look a whole lot different. Of course, as we walk through the Gospels, we see that we see Jesus more and more revealed. And Matthew will paint this picture as we go through his Gospel that, that Jesus is king. But not only does he come to establish a kingdom here on earth, but what he's doing is establishing his heavenly kingdom on earth, which will eventually come in its full glory one day when he returns again. And he's saying, I'm fully God. And so I'm not actually settled on this place, in this town. I'm not just going where you think I should go to deal with the Romans. I've actually come to go everywhere. To spread the news of my kingdom. To bring the hope of my kingdom. To bring the peace, joy, and love that can only come through me to the world. And so I'm going to go. And let's get honest. It's going to be uncomfortable. That's what Jesus is telling us here. And we see that he's going to go do that. He goes from Capernaum, this sort of multicultural city, but very Jewish, very uh, reputable community. And he's going to go across the water to a place that is very, very different because Jesus knows, I'm not here just for the people of Israel. I'm here for the world. And so he challenges the man. Now, we don't actually know whatever comes of this man, we, we can presume. I mean, he's not named. We don't see uh, him later be called in as one of the 12 or one of the, the 72 closest followers of Jesus. Uh, and so we don't know, but it, it seems like maybe he just kind of disappears or becomes one of those fringe guys. Seems like what Jesus has done is sort of popped his bubble of enthusiasm. He's like, oh, you think this is what it's going to be here? Let me just poke you with a pin here. Let me let you deflate a little bit and come back on down 
to reality. This is the way it's going to be. What you expect, where you want to go, where you think success will come from, stability will come from, comfort will come from, is not what I'm all about. I'm not interested in that for me or for you. And this would be a profound thing because in Jesus' day, there was a very unique relationship between a rabbi or a teacher and their disciple. And the relationship was that the disciple would go wherever the rabbi wanted to go. The rabbi always knew what they were doing. They were very intentional. These teachers of of the religions and of faith and of the law, they, they, they were very precise individuals very knowledgeable. And so they would often structure their days and their times, their their sort of journey with the disciple, very strategically to the point where they would go, I'm going to take this person here and I'm going to tell them, I'm not going to tell them why. So that when they have gone through this whole journey and arrive there, they will come and see what I was trying to teach them. And so Jesus sets up this thing where he says, I'm not about you and your self-directed, self-governed life. I want you to follow me and I'm going to take you to places that are unexpected. I want you to travel with me. I want you to come. And I want you to grow in a very specific way. Now, it's easy to look back on the guy and be like, ha, he missed it. Like, come on, look at what Jesus went and did. But of course, we see the whole of Scripture. We know all that has happened. And so we we can easily sort of look back at these these figures from history and say like, ah, what an idiot. You just didn't get it. But the question is, what would we do in these circumstances? Would we be willing to give up our comfort, our self-directed lifestyles to go and to follow our rabbi? What would you do? What would you say if right now Jesus said, I want you to get up and go. I want you to relocate your life. I want you to change your job. I want you to move your family. I want you to give up any notion of financial or physical comfort, and I want you to follow me. It's really easy on the surface at first to say, yeah, maybe I'd go. But if we're really honest and we dig down, this is a really, really hard thing for any one of us to do. But Jesus says, I know what's best. And it's interesting because we'll see this unfold as we go through looking at the life of Jesus. But whenever Jesus takes someone somewhere unexpected, he always wants to accomplish one of three things. He wants to grow the individual. He wants to use them to help others, or he wants to glorify himself in some situation, and the two always lead to the third. Now, this will never be easy, but it's a place we have to bring ourselves to, to be willing to go, to grow, to be used by God so that we can glorify him. This is what it means to follow Jesus. But it's an incredible thing when you do it. I remember one of, one of the most obvious examples that stands out in my life is even coming to the city of Abbotsford. I remember uh, a little over five years ago, I really sensed that God was telling me that I was going to have to give up the life that we had in North Van and we were going to go and God wanted to use some of my gifts in a different place. And I had no idea what that looked like. I, I, and, and I was, uh, to be honest, scared. Because I felt like God said, I just want you to give it up now. And so I quit my job. 
We had two kids. Uh, I think Sky was three and Macy was two at the time. My wife was in school full time. We went from income, me providing, nice house, things rolling to none of that. I just said, all right, God, I'm, we're, we're going to go. So I gave it up and I went, Lord, lead, please. And what was amazing is the very next day, very next morning, this guy named Bruce gives me a call. I've never met Bruce, but Bruce calls me and he says, hey, I'm golfing buddies with Jamie. And Jamie at the time is one of my very close pastor mentors, a guy who's gone before me, learned a lot. And he says, we were out golfing and I just was, you know, mentioning to Jamie that I got five churches, five churches in the the province that are looking for lead pastors. And he said, you might have some of the right things to go fit into one of those churches. You want to have a coffee? That was incredible. I, 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 uh, Quit on the Thursday, had the conversation on the Friday, and by Tuesday, Bruce and I are sitting down in Coquitlam having coffee. And Bruce paints this picture of all these different things and all these different places. And if I'm fully honest, Abbotsford wasn't in the view. And, and those who were here five years ago know Emmanuel wasn't in the view at, in Abbotsford because this was a church that was in, in rough shape, gone through a lot in a community. I, I didn't dislike Abbotsford. I just knew nothing about it. I, I drove through to go visit my family in Alberta to go to North Van. Like that was, that was life in Abbotsford was maybe stopping at Whatcom for McDonald's and some gas. And so I didn't know. But what was incredible is I felt God say, I want you to come with me here. And it has been incredible. God has done some wild things, but wonderful things. We've seen how God has transplanted our family and immediately began to grow and use us in different ways. My wife's playing at the playground, knows nobody, sees somebody wearing a t-shirt. Hey, oh, do you know that company? Yeah, I'm the owner. Oh, I was looking for a job like that. You want a job? Here we go. And now using that connection, God's done something incredible where, where, where kids have, have, have come and explored church and families have been open to, to faith and having conversations. God's been so incredible. I've been so privileged to get to be a part of this church and, and participate in the way that he is working. And all along, what God has done is the very three things that he always does with his followers. He's grown me immensely. I can't even imagine the idiot that I was when y'all hired me five years ago. God's grown me incredibly in, in spirit, in heart, in love for a community and, and, and the people around us. God's used me and I've got to be, have the privilege of, of seeing people and be a part of people coming to faith because God is at work in some of the things. I've got to see him glorified in all of these different ways. It is a wonderful thing. And so from the bottom of my heart, having the experience I've had, I would say embrace the call to not knowing where Jesus will lead you. It's such an incredible gift. It is scary. It is horrifying when I quit that job, when I went, when I had no clue where we were going. But God has provided, he's been faithful, and he's brought us exactly where he wants us to be. God may never ask you to go drastically, but he might. Are you willing to go? Would you be willing to go on mission, to go serve somewhere else, whether for a short time or a long time, to go and serve him in a place that you will never really truly rest your head as your permanent residence? 
Would you be willing to step out in faith and be uncomfortable in a way that just doesn't make sense for your day-to-day living right now? This is the conviction. This is the desire that Jesus has for his disciples. He says, come and follow me. I want to grow you. I want to use you. I want to bring myself glory through you. Will you consider that call? So we have this one guy, sold out, gung-ho, but seemingly unwilling to give it all up. His priority wasn't actually the kingdom of God. It wasn't actually the mission that Jesus was called to. It was himself and his comfort and his stability. So we have him. But then we have this other guy, this other disciple. It says in verse 21 to 22, it says, Another disciple said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What? Like, come on, like, Jesus, this guy just wants to go and, and bury his dad. He wants to go and attend a funeral. It seems a little bit harsh that you would say, hey, just go let the dead deal with themselves. Hey, he can dig his own grave. Leave it behind. Come on and go. But that's sort of an examination of it with our modern sensibilities, with our current cultural lens looking at it. The first readers of the Gospel of Matthew or those who were standing around Jesus at the time would have actually understood that what the man was asking wasn't just to attend a funeral. The responsibilities of a son in this age were that they would take on everything after the father had died, especially if it was an eldest son. And we have no idea if this is an eldest son or just a son in general, but either way, they would have had the responsibility to sort of take up the mantle of what dad did. They would have to take care of all the debts owed. If there was family that the dad had been taking care of, it would have been their responsibility to now take that on their shoulders and take care of that family. It would have been their responsibility to take care of the family farm, to take care of mom and your sisters and make sure that everybody in the family had a good inheritance. This is the responsibility that would have come. When you will go to bury your father, which likely would have been the responsibility of the eldest son, you didn't just sign up to put a guy in a grave. You signed up for months, years, potentially a lifetime of other things. And so when this guy comes and he approaches Jesus, he says, Jesus, I'm really about what you're all about. But first, I got a few other things. Does that sound familiar? Anyone ever been guilty of that? I have, right? We live this way. We, we, we go this way. We, we, we all know what it looks like to have these family obligations or these things that weigh on our, on our shoulders and on our minds. And we say, hey, I need to go and deal with this. So Jesus, I'll catch up with you in a little while. And Jesus says, not a chance. He said, that's not the right priority. You're actually picking up something that you have made an idol. An idol is just something that we set our mind or our heart towards that takes priority of God. And we'll see all throughout Jesus' teaching, the teaching of Paul, that that what God wants us to understand is when we take things and we prioritize them above him, all that does is lead us towards death. 
These things are powerless to actually truly make a difference in what is most important in our lives and in the whole grand scheme of eternity. And Jesus says these things are dead. So go let the dead bury their own dead. And what he means like that is it's a play on words. Let the spiritually dead deal with the things that don't bring life. Make sure that you're prioritizing the things of greatest importance which will bring life to you and the world around you. And that, surprise, surprise, Jesus says, is me. Jesus says, if you want to bring life, you need to go where I call you. You want to bring life, you have to focus on me first. And so we have these two men, one who's too quick to jump in because all he wants is what he thinks Jesus will provide, and this other guy who's way too slow to act and to actually take the priority that will bring life. These two men act in in very different ways, but we see that for both of them, their priorities are way out of whack. They don't work with the kingdom of God. Jesus says, my my importance isn't providing a path of comfort. It's not about tailoring things specific to you. It's not about finding a way to lead life that fits with your cultural identity and presumption. And so I want you to leave those things till after me. And this fits wrong with our society. We all know What's most important? Me. What's next most important? My family. What comes after that? Everything else. Are we spiritual people? Uh, Fits somewhere in that everything else category, right? Wrong. Jesus is like, no, absolutely not. You start with me and everything else will come into place. Jesus invites us continually to live a life in a countercultural way. Too many of us as followers of Jesus have become caught up in our own priorities and the priorities of the world, and we've forgotten all about his. What do you idolize? What comes first? What's your priority? You know, as we go on through this sermon series, we're going to be looking about Uh, the kingdom of God and how it comes. I'm hoping that we're going to build a sense of anticipation of of believing and seeing how God is going to move. And and last week we looked and we studied all about how how this kingdom of God comes to, to the least expected people the overlooked, the outcast. And then this week, we're going to see that before we can get into this place, and, and when we come to the end of the sermon series, we're going to look at where, where Jesus sends out his disciples to go and do some incredible things so that he could be glorified. But before we get there, Jesus wants to say, hey, you're all invited, but now get your priorities straight. So before we can continue, before we can expect to see what God is going to do, we have to ask ourselves, evaluate ourselves, and realign ourselves towards what's most important. Where are your priorities? You want to figure it out? Evaluate yourself on three things, time, money, effort. Your time, your money, and your effort will tell you exactly what you prioritize in life. Start today, this week, maybe have a conversation in in the car ride home, over lunch with a family member, a friend. Have time, spend, talk to your kids about this. Evaluate your time. How do we spend it together? 
This is the harsh reality and people hate it, but I'm going to say it. If you spend all your time rushing around from activity to activity and every night you come to bed and you say, I'm too exhausted to spend time with Jesus, your priorities aren't straight. Those activities are great. Your family's great. Those are all great things that fall under the, the wonderful general revelation of God which show us his glory, but none of them are God. And so we miss out on the relationship. If you have something that day after day takes it all out of you so you have no time to spend in relationship with Jesus, you need to fix that. Second thing you might want to do is evaluate your money. This is a great way to know your priorities. Are my priorities eating out? Are my priority on things? Are my priority investing? Is my priority my future comfort and retirement? Is my priority in investing the places that God is working? And don't hear me say that it's not wise to spend well and to invest well and to take care of yourself and your family. All of those things are important. They're all godly. But at the same time, when we look at our money, we can tell what we're really invested in. If your money is not accessible to give towards the things that God is doing or towards the people that God brings in front of you who are in need, and if you can't give to meet those needs of where God is moving, your money is prioritized on the wrong thing. So where's your time? Where's your money? And where's your effort? Sometimes this comes and goes and goes into different things, but where do you exert yourself? Where are you willing to kind of bend over backwards to put yourself out there to lay all of your energy on the line? Is it on the things that God would call you to do? Is it about reaching out to your neighbor? Is it about loving them? Is it about serving the church? Is it about engaging in mission? Or is it about all sorts of other different things? And this is really important, especially for those of you who hit retirement. I see this all the time in the church, and, and it's a dangerous thing. A lot of people come to this place and they say, I've worked a long time, I've served the church a long time, and so my time is done. I'm going to let somebody else go on, and I'm going to put my efforts in somewhere else. Jesus doesn't give us a retirement age on ministry. He doesn't say, oh, it's okay, just go to a certain point. Look at Jesus, he went to death, and then back again. And he invites us to do the same. Where's your time? Where's your money? Where's your efforts? Sit down this week and actually evaluate those three things. Write the list. What does it show? And then sit down and write down a list of where it should be. Where do I want it to be? Hopefully, if we're followers of Jesus, we say, my time, my money, and my effort goes towards Jesus. Then it goes towards my family because the primary place that I reach out in the world is to the people that God has brought into my circle. Then it goes to my friends. Then it goes to here, 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 here. Line up your two lists. What are my real priorities? What are my priorities that I actually want to value? And then work to figure out how you're going to make those two one and the same. It's going to be hard. It's going to take sacrifice. It's probably going to be potentially explosive when you do this with your spouse. But remember, the point isn't to be right. <laughs> it's not to get our own way. Jesus has modeled that and shown that in this text. He says, it's about the way that I am calling you. And so in unity, with love, with a focused mission on what is most important, sit down with family or friends and figure out where are you prioritizing and invest. 
Invest those three things. Join Jesus in the mission that he is going to accomplish. As we, we saw last week when we looked at, at the healings, as we'll see as he continues to bring healings, as he goes to the cross to save people from their sins, as he brings his Holy Spirit to continue to move about in the world, we can invest and get involved and participate in all of that. So will you let the dead bury themselves? Let the dead bury their dead and step into a light of life and hope and value of investing in the mission of God. Now, I do want to be careful because I know the response will be, well, it sounds like we have to do the right thing for Jesus. And I want to be very careful in this because there's a distinguishing factor between our salvation and the life Jesus calls us to. In both cases, there's a cost. In our salvation, the cost was the one that Jesus paid. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, and he offers up the free gift of eternal life with him by his grace through our faith in him, and that is free for anyone to receive. But it doesn't mean that the life he has saved us to has no cost. There is an incredible cost in the mission that God calls us to, but all the while he will prove to you that it is worth it. The cost is worth it. And when you actually begin to understand, when you begin to invest and see how God changes lives through the ministry that you're involved in, as you begin to see how God works in your own heart and spirit, you'll realize this cost is no real cost at all. And God is doing something extraordinary. So won't you line up your life with his? Let me close with these words that are spoken in Psalm 16, verse 11. Words that I hope that we as a church will be able to declare as we choose to follow Jesus over everything. The psalmist writes, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence, with all eternal pleasures at your right hand. Will we experience this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are such a huge God. God, that you are a God who is able to deal with sin and death, with selfishness, with, with, with vain ambition, with uh, misguided, uh, messed up priorities. God, that you are able to work. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are able to, to carve things out within our lives and, and help us to move things into the right priority list. And, and God, I just pray, would you do that now? Would you do it so that we would be able to step in and see the path of life that you would have for us that, that actually brings life to the full? Would you be able to, to fill us with the joy of your presence that we would know the eternal pleasures that only you could provide? And God, would we, we not be Christians that just camp out for one day that to happen when you return and we get to spend eternity with you, but would we get to camp out in it today knowing that you bring it as we take every single step with you, following you, aligning ourselves towards your priorities. And God, we pray that through all of this, more of your kingdom would come, more of your will would be done on, in, on earth and in Abbotsford as it is in heaven. God, now as we respond to you through song, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would enjoy hearing your people sing praises to you. And God, we just want to declare that you are good over everything that you are number one in our lives. 
And so, Lord, we pray now that you would be greatly pleased in this. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.